Thanks for pressing play. This is Christopher Lockhead. And on this episode, let's talk about the category design scorecard and how you use it to spot a category designer, how you can evaluate a company's ability to create a new category or redesign an existing one. You see, my uh, brothers from another mother and uh, co-pirates in Category Pirates, our new newsletter, Eddie Yoon and Nicholas Cole and I just unveiled this new category design scorecard. And uh, on this episode, let's dig into it. It's, uh, it's based on a tremendous amount of primary research, and I can't wait to share it with you. And if you want to follow along, if you're not driving, uh, go to Lockhead.com and check out the show notes for this episode and uh, all of the data that I reference and the five components of the scorecard and everything else is, uh, is up there on uh, Lockhead.com. My friends at Splunk are the leaders in data to everything, bringing data to every question, every decision, and every uh, every action. <laughs> Sorry, if I sound a little distracted, the reason I'm a little distracted is about three or four months ago, we adopted a kitten, and his name is Bean, and uh, I introduce him to people as our dog because he behaves a lot more like a dog than a cat. And he loves hanging out in the studio. It's our man time together. And uh, right now he's chewing on my leg and trying to get me <laughs> to play fetch with him. <laughs> uh, anyway, one of the things we're going to talk about today in the uh, scorecard is this thing called the data flywheel. And um, data might be the most important asset we have. And that's uh, why I love my friends at Splunk. Check out splunk.com slash D, the number two, the letter E, as in data to everything. That's splunk.com slash D to E. And my friends at Oracle NetSuite are the legendary platform you need for building and scaling and changing your business. They are the number one cloud business system. Check out netsuite.com slash different today for your free product tour that's netsuite.com slash different all right you ready bean now hey ho let's go this is lockheada marketing the podcast that helps you develop the lens for what makes legendary marketing legendary hosted by christopher lockhead three-time cmo godfather of category design and a high school dropout who the marketing journal calls one of the best minds in marketing and the economist calls off-putting to some all right the category design scorecard how do you know when you're looking at a company that's a, a category designer or creator versus just another high growth company uh, fighting tooth and nail for market share in their existing category so what we did was we analyzed Fortune Magazine's 100 fastest growing companies list for over a decade. And of course, the, the number of companies changes every year, right? And we specifically analyzed their 10Ks, annual reports, investor presentations, IR websites, things along those lines to look for were there certain things that companies who are trying to design and dominate a new category, were there certain things they said and did 
that were easily distinguishable from other high-growth companies. So we didn't want to compare the category designers to shitty companies. We wanted to compare them to other really good companies. And that's why we picked the Fortune 100 fastest growers list over a decade. So what we discovered as we began to dig into the data is we discovered five key indicators that distinguish category designers from other successful companies. And that's really how the scorecard uh, got created. So here are the five components of the scorecard. The first one is, do they have a category POV point of view? Does the company have a, a clear way of framing a powerful problem and or opportunity and then uh, sort of educating and motivating people to get on a mission. Remember the distinction between missionaries and uh, mercenaries to go attack the problem or prosecute the opportunity in the way that the company sees. And so the aha here is nobody's going to buy your quote unquote solution unless they identify with your problem. And POVs frame a powerful problem, articulate a compelling vision for the future, and then most importantly, communicate the core components of how the company sees the world to be different going forward. And, um, you know, often that gets called a vision, but category designers have a very specific way of doing it, which is they are going after something that they see as a, a noble cause, a noble purpose, or a giant problem worth solving. And it's either a problem that we didn't know that we had, that they're educating us about, or it's an existing problem that they meaningfully reimagine in, uh, in a new context. So that's number one. Does the company have a, a powerful category point of view? Number two, have they reimagined the category in a compelling way uh, what you could think of as without compromise. So, of course, most new categories are built on an idea that is um, an extension of something that came before. And so what we're looking for here is, does the company cast a compelling future vision? And does their future vision kind of get you out of the fundamental problems and compromises and trade-offs in the current category? Are they able to explain what the category looks like and its true glory? And, you know, we've learned a lot from our friend Joe Pine, who is uh, one of the co-authors of The Experience Economy. And one of the things that he teaches us is that companies that are successful in doing this transform their customers, transform their partners, and as a result of bringing new shit to the world, they generate a tremendous amount of abundance. And so the second criteria is, are they articulating a future category in a reimagined way without compromise? That is to say, breaks new ground and gets us um, an exponential kind of future. Number three, are they radically different in their offer and or business model? How is this new category getting delivered to the customer slash consumer? Are they offering a breakthrough product, service, or offer, and or a business model? Does the product have some kind of special innovation in it that makes it stand out? And when you couple that with a business model, you get a one plus one equals 11. And so there's got to be something radically different about either the product slash offer or the business model or both. Uh, number four, data flywheel. Does the company generate data about their customers and consumers? And 
in particular is the data they're generating or gathering about their customers, providing them with powerful insights into their preferences, into their needs, into their demands that allow essentially a unique window into the opportunity that customers are looking at going forward. Because if they do, then that company can can move on a dime as uh, because they're in touch with their customers. You know, the simplest example of this, of course, is Amazon knows the shit that we buy on a regular basis, so they can be pretty anticipatory about what we might need going forward. The other thing that's important to underscore here, Eddie's uh, uh, first book is called Super Consumers. And one of the big insights in Super Consumers is a relatively small percentage of sort of the most enthusiastic consumers or customers in any given category are the ones that drive any category change. And so another thing to think about is, does the flywheel produce insights into super consumers, not just everyday customers, if you will. And these things allow a company to be very predictive about uh, going forward. So that's the data flywheel. And uh, five, last but not least, the depth and degree of the customer outcome. And so is this company generating satisfied, ecstatic, insanely over-the-top customers who uh, are in some way, going back to the experience economy idea, are some way transformed by the use of this product or service? And are they so affected by it that they have a radical transformation that drives word of mouth? Earlier last year, we had uh, Clint Carnell on from Hydrofacial. And Hydrofacial is a new category of facial that's sort of a hybrid of a medical procedure and more of a feel-good procedure. I don't know. You're going to have to excuse me. I'm not, I've only had one facial in my life, so I don't really know the category. But what I do know is Hydrofacial, by breaking and taking new ground, they sort of blurred the lines between what a medical procedure is and what a facial is. And in so doing, created a new category of facial. And one of the hallmarks of their work is their customers feel transformed in a meaningful way. That is to say, they feel like their face looks and feels better, and they go and tell people about it. And so the degree to which a customer has a massive outcome, particularly, and this part's really important, an outcome that drives massive word of mouth. And when your outcome drives word of mouth and you have a compelling category point of view, you're actually telling your customers what to say as they go share it with their friends. All right. So those are the five sort of components uh, that we discovered for the category uh, design scorecard. Now, the next thing we did was we wanted to understand, you know, as we were working on this Fortune 100 list, again, over a decade, we wanted to understand what percentage of companies were truly trying to design and create categories versus just grow in different ways. And so we scored all of the companies in the five areas on a scale of zero to two. Zero being the company does not successfully accomplish the area one being they partially accomplish it, and two being they successfully accomplish the goal of the five, one of the five criterias, if you follow me. All right, so here's, here's how the list breaks out. We broke them into three groups. 60% of them uh, scored zero to two. And these were the companies that were primarily focused on beating the competition. 
rather than innovating or creating something new. These are what you could think of as compete to win companies. These are companies that are fighting for market share. And in all of their documents and presentations, you discover these things as you go through them. So that's 60% of the companies are what you could call compete to win companies. 20% of them scored in the three to five range. And these are the companies that you could think of as the, quote, being the best companies. Uh, they're trying to not necessarily win the category, but they want to be perceived as the best in the category. And then the final 20% are the companies that scored uh, 6 to 10. And these are the category designers. These companies were clearly trying to design and or create a meaningfully different category. Okay, so that's applying the scorecard to the Fortune 100 over a decade. Now, what we also did that was truly striking was we compared their growth and the growth of their stock price over this time. So the Be The Winner companies, these are the ones that scored the least, they saw 21% revenue growth. The Be The Best companies, these uh, saw about 31% revenue growth. And... The 20% that were the be the different companies who are the category creators saw 49% growth. So there is a big difference between 21% for the uh, be the winners and 31% for uh, the be the best to 49%. But where we saw the biggest difference was not in revenue growth, was the value of the revenue generated as measured by market cap or valuation, that is to say the value of the company. We discovered that the 20% category designers captured 51% of the revenue growth and 80% of the market capitalization growth of the prior three years. So what are we saying here? We have Fortune's 100 fastest growers list analyzed over a decade. And we found that the 20% of the companies are category creators. And those companies captured 51% revenue growth and 80% of all of the market cap increases of the prior three years when compared to their fast-growing peers. So what's this telling us? It's a powerful indication that investors pay for category potential. Growth-oriented investors understand that it's the company that designs the category that's best positioned to dominate it. And what makes a company valuable is the promise of future growth, much less so past performance. So let's review the five elements of the scorecard again. One, category POV. Two, future category reimagined without compromise. So they have, a, they have a vision for the future that's very compelling. Three, a radically different offer and or business model. Uh, four, a data flywheel. And five, a depth and powerful degree of customer outcome that drives a sort of a flurry of uh, word of mouth, social sharing, things along those lines. And, um, you know, it's fascinating to see that the uh, category creators, again, in this analysis, take the lion's share of the market cap growth, uh, 80% of it. 
if you read Play Bigger, you might remember we did primary research in the book as well. And that research was uh, designed to uncover what percentage of total market cap in a given category goes to the leader. That is to say the category queen. And um, back then we discovered 76% of the total value created in the category goes to the leader. So whether you look at our most recent research or you look at the research we did for Play Bigger, what we're seeing is that companies that are designing and dominating new and or reimagined categories are capturing the vast majority of value created as measured by market cap. And if you're not one of those companies, you're fighting over table scraps. So what does this mean? If you're an entrepreneur, you're a CEO, you're a marketing leader or business leader of any kind, the category design scorecard is a very powerful lens for evaluating yourself, your company versus others in your category, as well as other fast growers. How are you doing against the five key criteria in the scorecard? That's a very powerful lens to turn on yourself. It's a mirror to put in front of yourself to see Uh, whether or not you think you're uh, scoring high on those five areas in the scorecard. Now, if you're an investor, and by the way, caveat, caveat, I am not an investment advisor. I'm not giving you investment advice, and you should make no investment decisions based on what I'm telling you. (laughs) But what I will tell you is that the um, category design scorecard is a very powerful lens for looking at a company and trying to figure out Are they behaving like a category designer? Because if they are, they're likely creating category potential. And if they're creating category potential, savvy investors will relate to that. And they will be meaningfully more valuable, not just when compared to loser companies, but frankly, when compared to other high growth companies. The third area you might want to use the category design lens is for you and your career. When you're evaluating your next job opportunity, what we know is that um, we get very few trips to the plate in our career, only a handful. Most of us are going to be in the single digit number of jobs. And so we want to make sure that when we join a company, we join a company that has a high potential of designing and dominating a category because those are the most valuable companies. And I'm here to tell you, when you do that, It's fucking fun. And when you don't do that, it sucks. (laughs) And so when you're looking for your next job, the category design lens is an unfair advantage when trying to evaluate the future prospects of a company that you're looking at. And frankly, um, you can use it as a tool for asking questions of your uh, would-be new boss. All right, that's the category design lens. Um, Don't forget, go to lockhead.com. And if you like this kind of in-depth research and analysis, don't forget to subscribe to Category Pirates. All right, we would like to thank the legendary folks at Atrenet, A-T-R-E dot N-E-T, building legendary B2B websites in Silicon Valley for the better part of 20 years. One of my favorite podcasts, the Win Happy podcast with my buddy Greg Canty. Myself and Sharon Vaughn just did a um, a great episode. Check out the Win Happy podcast. And while you're checking out other legendary podcasts, I'm a regular guest on the Cloud Wars Live podcast. If you're into technology and what's going on in the cloud and the future of technology, check out Cloud Wars Live with my buddy Bob Evans. Also, uh, while you're digging around in podcasts, 
Uh, why not check out podcastmagazine.com slash free. This is the magazine for people who love podcasts and for podcasters. And they were kind enough recently to do a profile on me. And if you go to podcastmagazine.com slash free, uh, you'll get a free lifetime subscription and you'll go beyond the mic. All right, I need to remind you that this uh, oddcast is the sole property of the Lockhead Oddcast Network, and it definitely goes better with libations. Please don't forget to tip your wait staff. Don't be lame. Get out of the passing lane. The left-hand lane is for moving fast. Get out of it. <laughs> if you like this oddcast enough to listen, why not share it with your whole team? Today's information is provided to you solely for informational purposes. Remember to listen to their moans. Johnny Cash was right. We are produced and edited by the GOAT, Jason DeFilippo. His podcast is called Grumpy Old Geeks. Get your grump on. Sarah Knox and Jamie Jay do legendary technical uh, execution, and they build Lockhead.com. Show notes by Diane Gervasio. And uh, the legendary Candy Dandy keeps all the trains running on time. That's it. Thank you so much. I deeply appreciate the gift of your time. Stay healthy. Stay legendary. And the thought I'll leave you with comes from Eleanor Roosevelt, who said, The future belongs to those who believe in the beauty of their dreams.